Greetings from Soundography, a crash course in music, one band at a time. I'm Brian Ibbett. And I am still Hammond Chamberlain. Still? That's good. I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are going to be talking about an artist, an artist who's been around since the 90s and had her huge breakthrough. Well, I guess technically around in the late 80s. Uh, or even the early 80s. I guess we're going to find all that out, right? Is it, should, should, I just, should we just get to it? <laughs> sure. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, run and, let's run and, no, I don't know. That wasn't going to work. Never mind. Let's just get into okay. it. Sure. You know, you're talking about what you should edit out of the show. I would edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm leaving that one in because it is funny. Okay. All right. Good. We are talking today about Tori Amos, a musician who has a flair for the uh, dramatic. Or the melodramatic. Or the melodramatic. Very, very communicative in her lyrics writing, in her song writing. Very much a storyteller, which I really, really do like. But, you know, tends to include some difficult topics uh, in her uh, her lyrics. She's like the modern, it's like the alternative female, alternative musician version of Dolly Parton back in the day. Oh, interesting. I would not have even compared her to Dolly Parton, but I see in the in the songwriting and the storytelling, uh-huh. I absolutely see what you're yeah, talking about. There's actually a very thick yeah. line, if you think about it, strictly as song and story, not music. Yeah. And and you'll hear me probably compare a lot to Kate Bush in that respect too, who I think is a similar storyteller with her music, which we should probably add her to our list for uh, the future. I think it'd be cool to do her music. But a while after this one, after this week. (laughs) Tori Amos was born in North Carolina. She grew up in Maryland and she taught herself piano. By three, she was composing her own songs. For for a self-taught pianist, she is amazing. And And I'm um, sure it was probably some mournful lament about having a dirty diaper. Yeah, probably. Probably. Didn't get ice cream when the ice cream man drove by or something. She, I wonder if back then, if she was, if she turned and faced the stage like she does now, like her live performances, instead of having the piano, like basically with all uh, piano players in concert, you see them at the side, right? In profile. In profile, because it wouldn't make sense to put the piano between them and the audience to where they'd be sort of looking at the audience because for a lot of people, you would just see the piano and not the Mm -hmm. person. But she turns 90 degrees and kind of straddles the bench with her body turned playing the piano, her hands turned playing the piano, her arms, but the front of her body kind of facing the audience, which can be good for your back, your spine, any of that stuff. So she's basically riding side saddle while playing the piano. Sort of, except she's still straddling the bench. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So she's yeah, playing side more, saddle, even though she's sitting more, traditionally. She's sitting <laughs> traditional, but she's lassoing the sheep to her left. <laughs> it's probably the best if we're going to go that comparison. Uh, she's quoted as saying, the song appears as light filament once I've cracked it. As long as I've been doing this, which is more than 35 years, I've never seen the same light creature in my life. 
Obviously, similar chord progressions follow similar light patterns, but try to imagine the best kaleidoscope ever. After the initial excitement, you start to focus on each element's stunning original detail. For instance, the sound of the words with the sound of the chord progression combined with the rhythm manifests itself in a unique expression of the architecture, architecture of color and light. I started visiting this world when I was three, listening to a piece by Bella Bartok. I visited a configuration that day that wasn't on this earth. It was euphoric. Okay, before you say anything, I want to say, yeah. if anyone else had been given uh, attributed to this quote, I would yeah. think they're pompous, full of it, blowing smoke <laughs> up my butt, people. However, sure. having right. swam through Tori Amos for the last week, week and a half, I have to tell you, she means every word of this. This is genuine like that. There is no doubt in my mind that that this is her. And, you know, I, she's probably in that more, what do you call it, spiritual side of things. Yeah. Not necessarily. And I know she has some religion in her background and obvious with songs like God and, and stuff like that. But I think regardless of her, her religious affiliation, she is 100% a spiritual being. There are crystals hanging in windows. There are, um, there's probably a, a smell of sage or incense burning in her house. There's or, probably some potpourri like somewhere in a bathroom. Probably, exactly. And there's nothing, I don't, I see there's nothing artificial about the Tori Amos being. And and that just, that uh, quote that we just read makes me think that she's got, what is that? Synesthesia. Synesthesia. That's the word I was looking for. But that's where you see, is that where you see? It's notes where you see sounds. It's where you see sound okay. as colors. Okay. So that's exactly it then. Mm -hmm. Synesthesia. Very interesting. But like, I'd love for to know instance, what that's like. If, if Vince Neal had said that, I would have thought he was high. <laughs> well, yes, if Vince Neal. I mean, <laughs> let's let's say let's say Lady Gaga saw that, right? Because Lady Gaga is still, a very talented pianist. Yes, it wouldn't it, sound as it yeah, still doesn't sound right. as genuine. If it this is only can come out of Tori Amos's mouth. Absolutely accurate. Yep, totally true. Uh, she was the youngest student ever accepted to the Peabody Conservatory of Music. She studied classical music from nine, uh, from 98 to 74. I'm guessing uh, 68. Yes, probably. I think. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. Unless she's a time traveler as well, which again, <laughs> well, you know, would not surprise me. We're sending Peabody, then Sherman was, would have been there. So she might be a time traveler. <laughs> That's right. Set the Laybeck machine to 1998. <laughs> She studied classical music from 1968 to 74. At 11, her scholarship was terminated. She said that it was because of her interest in pop music. That's unfair. Her first professional gigs were in gay and piano bars in Maryland. Her first single was Baltimore. And that was written with her brother. It was released as a seven, oh, as a seven inch single in yeah. 1980. In 1984, Tori moved to L.A. to pursue a career in music. In 1986, she formed a group called Why Can't Tori Read, named for her struggles sight-reading music. After changes in the band and lots of work, they released an album in 1988. And uh, this album was an absolute failure. Oh, why can't Tori succeed? Oh. <laughs> Tori worked on a song called Distant Storm for the movie uh, China O'Brien, but it was credited to Tess Makes Good. That's funny. So the 
her band, White Can Tori Reed, but then it was cred to death makes good. <laughs> her first recordings were declined by the label. And after some reworking, her first album was ready. And that first album was the breakthrough, Little Earthquakes. Uh, this album contains songs dealing with her religious upbringing, sexual awakenings, forming her personal identity, and her sexual assault. This album was on constant repeat at my job in 1992. Basically, we worked in a garage in El Dorado Springs, Colorado, up against the mountains. And it was two guys and six women, eight of us in this, packed into this garage. And this album was just on repeat for... So were, you like, fixing, were you fixing cars or making meth? When you say I was in a garage... <laughs> Yeah, the owner, basically the owner of the company, a, a computer programmer, worked out of his house. And then he spent a lot of money and had the garage turned into offices. Okay. But he kept the the big garage door. So there was a separate room. We could open that garage door in the summer, let some more cool air in. But it was air conditioned and carpeted and windowed. And, you know, it was, a, it was you could tell it was a garage. There was no fooling anybody. But it was certainly made into something workable. Okay. Livable. So when you just say I was working in, a, I was crammed in a garage with yeah, six, five yeah. or seven other people that really yeah. leaves a lot to the imagination. Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, it, did, it does sound like yeah, I was working on uh, Camaros or something or, <laughs> or like you say, making meth, but uh, it was neither, neither of those things. Yeah, I can hear Been saved again by the garbage truck I got something to say, you know But nothing comes Yes, I know what you think of me You never shut up Yeah, I can hear that This, this album, of course, as I mentioned, was a breakthrough album for Tori. Silent All of These Years was the subject of her first uh, music video. Yeah, that first single, Silent All These Years, it was uh, the world-class, what, what they call themselves, KBCO, world-class music. The radio station out here, again, she was, she fit the perfect demographic of that radio station. The Boulder is a very earthy town, and they played a lot of alternative music. So, you know, Counting Crows, uh, who's the guy uh, talking to Seattle, Todd Snyder, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff really... But it's almost Joan like Osborne. Joan Osborne, absolutely. But if there was a puzzle piece missing from KBCO, it was a perfectly Tori Amos shaped puzzle piece. Yeah, she so that means thing. every Subaru out back there had Tori Amos stickers on it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> every, and, and you laugh, but I think the highest concentrations of Subaru outbacks are in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> Someday I'm going to actually. Put, you know, I've got a little uh, holder for my phone on my dashboard. I'm just going to drive through Boulder and and in the video highlight all of the uh, Subaru Outbacks that I drive like a, by. Like an eight, like a HUD when the Terminator is targeting people. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the Subaru Outback, give it to me now. All right, 1992, she released the EP, Crucify. This was her fifth single from the album. The UK release also had Here in My Head and Mary on it as well. Just what God needs. Also had a, uh, a cover that we're going to talk about in a little bit. 
1994, she released Under the Pink. This was also well-received. It sold well. It reached number 12 on the Billboard 200s. In the UK, it did a little bit better. It reached all the way to number one. And I wonder what's in a day, what's in your cake this time. I guess Yeti's gone to LA. He says that behind. She followed that up with a B sides album called More Pink. This was part of the Australian and New Zealand double disc set. It's rare. And right now, if you find a copy of this, it's it's a collector's item. You definitely want to uh, grab it and sell it if you if you can find one. I'm sure that record store that Mindy worked at in Boulder probably has a copy of it. Yes. That that uh, that record store on the Pearl Street Mall, which does exist. Yes. <laughs> In 1996, she released Boys for Pele. The album was recorded in an Irish church. She also added the harpsichord, harmonium, and clavichord to the sound palette that she used on the album. Tori Miss, I bet, tells people that she doesn't have a TV. Yes, and she's probably never played, um, she's never played a video game either. Right. (laughs) Right, never played a video game either. Yep, (laughs) for sure. The album Boys for Pele reached number two on both the UK and US charts. However, it did gain mixed reviews for being erratic and dense. Well, yeah, because you put a harpsichord on there. So either you're playing Adam's family covers or you're being dense. Right. <laughs> or you're being dense. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant. I know what you meant, but that was a really funny way to say it. Uh, for sure, right. Yeah, you're not, there are no light, jaunty harpsichord songs or yeah. clavicle songs. Right? Yeah. I, or uh, clavichord. I guess a clavicle is a part of the human anatomy. It's a bone. Yes, no, it's your, near your shoulder, neck area. It is, it is. But I mean, typo negative to use harpsichords. Tori Amos used harpsichords. Yeah. yeah. You're not dancing to either one of those. There's a, there's a, yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of a commonality there. In 1996, she released the Hey Jupiter EP. This was the fourth single from Boys for Pele. It contained a remix version of Hey Jupiter along with a live version of Bliss and a few other songs. Including a live version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. my listen through so I'm gonna have to go find that I really I love her voice I, I really really like her so voice so do we want to talk about how this went for us now yeah, or do you we want to wait let's, let's, let's do that now and okay. I'm gonna put a little I'm gonna put a little marker here to know where I where I start up next in our show notes but yeah let's talk about how this week was okay, for you okay you go first for us 
Okay. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm very familiar with her. I have those first three albums, uh, the ones we just mentioned, Earthquakes, Under the Pink, and Boys for Pele. Bottom, listened to them throughout the 90s. They they were in my geo tracker when I was driving around, and I probably pulled some of them for mixtapes. Certainly one of the songs that is in my playlist ended up on some mixtapes. I kind of fell off with her after those first three albums. And so coming back to this was like, ah, this nice comfort zone of these first three albums. And oh, we're going weird here. Oh, this is a little dark. Oh man, this is strange. What's that? Uh, 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 cast play album? What's this? Oh, how about Christmas music? Okay. Oh, good. We're back to back to the stuff I like. <laughs> <laughs> Except I guess right in the middle of all that is one more album I bought, which was the cover album that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, it was a it was a whacked out sandwich with the the bread being stuff that I was familiar with and stuff that sounded like what I was familiar with, and then some some kooky, nutty stuff in the middle. Okay. How about for you? All right. So my exposure to Tori Amos was exceedingly limited. Maybe like mm. radio, and that's it. And oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All and right. the only reason I knew much more about her was Kevin Moore, the keyboard player for Dream Theater. He actually made a, re- he name checked her in one of his songs on his Chroma Key album, the first Chroma Key oh, album. Oh, interesting. Okay. He talks about how to get this tape to Tori and they were friends. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. Tori Amos is a friend of Kevin Moore. I like Kevin Moore stuff. So then I'm going to listen to Tori Amos. And I never got around to it until now. And I admire her greatly for her vocal skill. I admire her greatly for her piano skill. Mm -hmm. I just wish wish she wrote things that were a little bit more, (laughs) don't want to say cheerful, because I don't don't mean it to be like, I need happy, glorious stuff. I don't need it. And we certainly aren't, we are certainly not saying, you know, you'd be prettier if you smiled more. No, no, that is not what I'm saying saying at all. (laughs) No, this is something where I understand you have things you want to say as a composer and as an artist and as a lyricist and a storyteller. I get that. And I love that about her. But yeah. Hasn't anything good happened to her? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like uh, Taylor Swift. You know, would her music be as popular if if it wasn't? I mean, look at the, the pop industry in general. Breakups, right? Like what? Taylor Swift has made a career on breakup songs. So is Adele. So is Adele. But then you look at the industry and so has everybody. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, but, okay, I get that. And I understand that breakup songs love lost songs that's kind of par for the course we're talking religion issues it it gets a little heady it doesn't and if there's nothing surrounding that to balance it then it it feels like a dirge it feels like a you're slogging through some heavy heavy stuff because i don't know if i'm the target demographic for a lot of her stuff no i i I don't think we are and and that's fine yeah no you know lilith fair is uh is, you know, a concert that uh, probably isn't targeted towards us, but, uh, and that's just fine. Every time Lilith Fair is said, I always think of like a carnival with like, you know, barkers and Ferris wheels <laughs> and carnival games and uh-huh. less, more with of Fraser, a fair with than Crane's uh, wife. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, running the whole thing. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the most uptight fair in the world. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, come ride the OCD coaster. Anyway, <laughs> to separate herself from the record industry machine, she had her barn turned into a cutting edge studio. 
and the next two albums differ from the previous releases, her piano was replaced with electronic instruments and leaned more towards the electronica and dance style of music. Both of these albums deal with the very personal issues of her marriages and miscarriages. 1998, From the Choir Girl Hotel was the next album. Uh, the critics praised this album, and it's one of her best-selling albums, topping 150,000 in the first week. nineteen ninety nine, the next year, to Venus and Back. This was a two-disc collection of new studio material and live recordings from the last world tour. This also reviewed well and contained the first major label single available for digital download. In 2001, Strange Little Girls was released. This was a cover album released after she had her daughter. It contains songs that men had written about women. She then went and reversed the gender roles to reflect a woman's point of view. This was her first concept album. Uh, The artwork featured Tori and the characters portrayed in the songs. Yeah, and it's a cool concept. Um, Not just a cover album of, hey, these songs inspired me, but here's songs about about murder in the case of Eminem and toxic masculinity in the case of Real Men by uh, Joe Jackson. And so to have those turn around to, to be a woman's point of view, I think is a very, very clever, if not heavy, uh, concept. All I ever needed is heal in my arms. Vows are spoken to be broken feelings are intense words are trivial but it really it Um, it it kind of uh it softens the blow of what could be a very serious uh kind of statement too do you think it softens it or do you think it magnifies it well i think i think think in cases it magnifies it okay well i think it well i was thinking that the idea itself being musical softens the blow because she could just call it out verbally and say, oh. these things are toxic. This is, you know, misogynistic. This is murder. Sure. And sure. it would be, it would be very direct music kind of softens the blow. But then as far as the concept itself and the album presentation, yeah. it feels like it's actually kind of a very huge magnifying glass on how men are seen or see things in the music world. You know, some of these are, are lighter songs. Uh, I'm Not In Love by 10CC is a guy just, you know, basically singing about how all the things that he's doing might point to him being in love, but he's not. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh no, I just, I like, your picture is only convenient because it covers up a stain on the wall kind of thing. <laughs> Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. But then, yeah, you get to the heavier stuff like I Don't Like Mondays, which is about one of the first school shootings. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles, um, uh, 97 Bonnie and Clyde, which is the uh, Eminem putting his wife into the trunk of a car. And, uh, you know, you know that that's more than just 
just a, a random character he came up with. I think he actually <laughs> had those thoughts about doing that to uh, Jim Masters. Or Mathers, not Masters, Mathers. Uh, but anyway, this album was, uh, she said, this was a way to complete her contract with Atlantic without giving them any new material. She had felt uh, as if the label had not been doing right by her for a while. So this was kind of just a way to get get out of the contract. I kind of like, yeah, I'd like more bands to do this to get out of their contract. Tracks. Hey, cover album, please. Uh, <laughs> do you need some ideas? I'll give you some. Yep. You want out of your, want out of your contract? Uh, let me let me help you with that. Contact us at the Soundography on Twitter, and we <laughs> we both can help you on this brainstorming idea. Yeah, let me be your let me be your Microsoft Clippy. It looks like you're trying to get out of your record contract. <laughs> let me help you with that. Boy, Clippy's and, really been in the news lately. Yeah. Well, in my news anyway, I've been using Clippy a lot for the Microsoft Blizzard acquisition. <laughs> oh, well, there was also, there was a, a actual headline with this politician was complaining oh, really? that Clippy was com- spying on them. I tweeted about it. It's on my Twitter feed somewhere. <laughs> really? Well, the, I hear the Clippy that wears high heels is just too sexy, a too well, sexy a Clippy. Well, I, I actually said this feels like a headline, an Onion article from 2003, yeah. and and it, you know, it, it did, but it, it turned out to be a real it thing is. from like last week. Oh God. All right. I'll have to look back at that. Uh, in 2001, Tori Amos signed with Epic Records and the very next year she released Scarlet's Walk. This was another concept album uh, described this time as a sonic novel. The album explored her alter ego. She traveled cross country for a tour in a post 9-11 world. Uh, this album dealt with a strange... I'm sorry, with a range of serious topics from misogyny to pornography and all stops in between. And this was her last album to be certified as gold by the RIAA. In 2005, she released The Beekeeper, uh, another concept album, this time influenced by the art of, say it with me, beekeeping. She also worked in ideas of the sidelining of women in Christianity, which goes, I mean, as we all know, goes hand in hand with beekeeping. As we know. As we know. uh, The album was an album thick with religious and political ideas. Tales of a Librarian. The buzz in the album was really good, though. Oh, geez. Wow. All right, honey, that's enough. (laughs) Uh, Tales of a Librarian, a retrospective of her songs, was released in 2003. It's a weird title, Tales of a Librarian. She she was never a librarian, right? I don't think so. Or is is she a librarian of the spiritual world? Might be. Uh, That was released in 2003. And then Scarlet's Hidden Treasures EP was released in 2004. This was included with the DVD set Welcome to Sunny Florida, and it contains six non-album tracks. Of December, we chase the tide as the treasures were gathered. I have 
In 2005, she did one of those iTunes exclusive sessions. This was her first iTunes exclusive release. Uh, the next year, 2006, A Piano, The Collection. This was a five-disc box set covering the first 15 years of her career. It contains classics, demos, B-sides, rarities, and unreleased music. Okay, if I were going to go out and buy any Tori Amos album, it's this one. Yeah. I yeah. listened to this thing. Almost all of my picks initially came from this album. Oh, and then really? I had to find the oh, originals elsewhere. Yeah, because they're they're like demo versions, but you hear the stripped down, mm -hmm. just her and a piano demo versions, yeah. which is which is great. Yeah, between between live things and this album, I really yeah. enjoyed that. That's cool, and the, this is all available on Apple Music mm -hmm. and Spotify and stuff, which is great. Five discs, like what is the, the total number of songs? Looks like eighty six. Yeah, eighty six songs. Yeah, this is a, this is a really good place to start for sure. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with her stuff anyway. In 2007, American Doll Posse. This was another concept album. This one about a group of girls. Uh, and this was seen as a return to her more confrontational style of music and content. Weird thing of someone as 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 light spoken as her being confrontational, but this was a very confrontational album. I yeah. felt I felt confronted. Yeah, and I think it's um, I think she I think her music is very confrontational. I don't know if she I see what you mean though. I don't know if she would be confrontational in in person. I, I kind of feel like she would be. She kind of for the album cover did a similar thing to Strange Little Girls. Created some. Tori Amos characters and posed for uh, posed for the album cover as those characters. Uh, this one debuted at number five on the Billboard chart. In 2008, she announced that she has left her label and will be working independently now. And her first uh, album on her own label was 2009's Abnormally Attracted to Sin. This one was well-reviewed and debuted in the top 10. This was their seventh album to debut in the top 10. Um, and I can see that. She said that this was a personal album about power boundaries and the subjective view of sin. This was pretty good. Mm -hmm. In 2009, uh, she released Midwinter Graces. This was her first quote-unquote seasonal album. Uh, features traditional carols and a few originals. And, and by carols, I mean, you're not hearing her sing jingle bells or things like that. You're hearing either alternative takes, not alternative takes, but original music based on themes of Christmas carols, even right down to some of the words of Christmas carols, mm -hmm. but not a straight, here's the cover of Good King Wenceslas or something like that, right? You get um, cad Candle Coventry Carol and A Silent Night with You and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, actually, she does have a bonus track, Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> <laughs> I threw that out as an example and I forgot that actually, yeah, looking at it, she does uh, have that. All right, well, there's that, but not the other things I mentioned. <laughs> She's not covering Jingle Bells. Right, exactly. 
In 2011, she released Night of Hunters. This was her first classical-styled album featuring variations on a theme. She was paying tribute homage to classical greats. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool concept, and I think she does it really, really well. This was one of my favorites, just to sit and listen to. We've all side by side, no one had more. Yeah, I think so too. In 2012, while she had that orchestra, (laughs) while she had it around, uh, she released 2012's Gold Dust. This is a collection of reworked music from her back catalog, re-recorded with an orchestra. And so you get a lot of those hits and those those, um, older, older songs, some deep cuts, favorites of her is reworked with an orchestra and it's, it works really, really well. Hey kid, I got a ride for you. They say you bring- In 2014, she released the album Unrepentant Geraldine's I want to feel like that's an anagram for something, but I don't, I don't, don't, I didn't take the time to figure it out. Uh, the first single was Trouble's Lament. She embarked on a tour that saw her play with Sydney Orchestra and the world famous Sydney Opera House. called this a return to her core identity as a contemporary artist. This is, you know, I talked about that sandwich at the beginning. This is when things started coming back for me, the other slice of bread. It's like, oh, this feels like 1992, 1994 again. Uh, Really liked it. 2015, The Light Princess. This is an original cast recording uh, of a musical based on a Scottish fairy tale. This is the first musical to feature the music of Tori Amos. The album also contains two songs performed by Tori, Highness in the Sky and Darkest Hour. For all with the west wind that bears name, so if I could, I would like you do, like you do. In 2017, she released Native Invader. Inspiration came for this album after a trip to the Smoky Mountains. There's your Dolly Parton connection. There's your, exactly, yep. I don't see her going to Dollywood, though. I don't either. No, I don't see her as an amusement park uh, fan (laughs) at all. Uh, In 2020, she had her next Christmas album called Christmas Tide, or an EP that she released called Christmas Tide. And the end of last year, she released Ocean to Ocean. This was uh, Poignant Musings, on loss and rebirth set against a Cornish canvas. Again, another description that if anybody else had described it that way, I wouldn't buy it. (laughs) 
like, what, what kind of pompous ass came up with this? I mean, I literally was thinking when I typed it, Cornish game hen, because we would have said that, a poignant musing the yes. lost rebirth against a Cornish game hen. Set against a Cornish pasty. Yes. <laughs> uh, Hammond, tell me some uh, some statistics about Tori. So she has contributed on many, many soundtracks, including Toys, Higher Learning. I love her work on that one. Yeah, yeah. Higher Learning. Twister, which is weird because that's also got your Van Halen on it. Wow, that's a weird one because just because it's so mainstream. Yeah. You know? Then Escape from L.A., which is also weird because really the only thing out of that one that's good is the fact that Bruce Campbell's in the movie. Right. <laughs> um, Mission Impossible 2, which is the John Woo one, right? Yes, that's they, right. They the must have been playing sequence. her music when the doves flew out behind him. Totally, which would fit, wouldn't now, it? Now a movie that fits is Mona Lisa Smile. Yep. And Good Omens, just to name a few. Oh, okay. Good Omens, the more recent thing, which absolutely makes sense because... Good Omens is co-written. It's uh, Neil Gaiman and who's the guy who did The Ring World? Uh, Pat Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's co-written by those guys. She's really good friends with Neil Gaiman. Her, um, I think if there was anybody that would be considered a muse for Tori Amos, it would be Neil Gaiman. He's... He's involved with, or he's married to Amanda Palmer, the ukulele, um, and Dresden Dolls, lead singer. But uh, I could absolutely see her naming Neil Gaiman and his work as uh, inspiration for a lot of her music. She also has worked with David Byrne and Fatboy Slim. Oh, that's cool. And then I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but she was also referenced in uh, a song by Kevin Moore on the album Chroma Key, Dead Air for Radios. And he says, I guess to get a tape to Tori. And so I guess they were our <laughs> friends. So that's cool. Uh, very cool. And we listened to All that right. album. We listened to that album for one of those. You got to listen to this. We did. Yeah. Uh, I didn't remember that, uh, that connection, but now that I see it on here, it totally makes sense. All right. So let's say you go see Tori in concert and she's facing you while she's reaching to her left to play the piano. Uh, what song are you guaranteed that she's going to play. Now, this is an interesting one because I could see her being the type who would say, I'm not going to play the hits. You know, if oh. you want to hear the hits, go online or watch, you know, watch the videos or things like that. But for, you know, to that, uh, I could also see, end, I could also see her having a different set list every night just to keep herself entertained. I could see that too, for sure. Yeah. When you don't have, when you're, when a lot of music is just you and a piano, you've got that freedom to say, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll pull in the band for these, 12 tracks, but for these other uh, nine, we'll, we'll, uh, it'll just be me and I'll mix these up and do some different ones. Yeah. It's like when uh, Ben Folds would play that rock, rock that bitch improv yeah, thing right. every out when people would yeah. yell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, the songs that we put on the list are Cornflake Girl, uh, Winter Leather, or Little Earthquakes. I'd add uh, God to that list. Okay. And then, uh, but I think my choice, the choice I put on there would probably be Guessing Crucify. Okay. Let's see how you did. Uh, number one, one that we didn't even have on here, but but one of my favorite songs, and were it not a hit, I would have put it in my list. Precious Things. Um, which is a very, again, a really 
thickly produced uh, track. That's really good. Uh, followed by Cornflake Girl, then Crucify is number three. Me and a Gun is number four. Winter, Silent All These Years, makes it uh, to number six. Leather, Horses, and God. Or if that's all one track, Leather, Horse, God. Uh, and then Caught a Light Sneeze. <laughs> Sounds is, like a Motorhead uh, cover band. Right, it kind of does. Leather, Horses, God. Uh, Caught a Light Sneeze is number 10. If we were to look for her first cover that she does in concert, uh, well, it's going to be in my... It's going to be in my playlist, so we won't mention that one. Second most popular is Rattlesnakes, which is a Lloyd Cole and the Commotions cover. Let's talk about, speaking of covers, who we'd like to hear her cover. I will go first. Although the thought of her doing Stairway to Heaven uh, kind of, you know, almost would make me change my opinion to yeah. say, oh, let's put yeah. that one in here. I think, I think she would do an amazing Stairway to Heaven. Oh, very but, much so. Uh, but the comparison to Kate Bush made me think of like, oh, what if she covered a Kate Bush song and probably Kate's biggest breakthrough single, not uh, Running Up That Hill, which would be huge, but uh, Wuthering Heights, the song that put Kate Bush on the map here in the in the U.S. Uh, I think that there's a, a lot of parallels you can draw between these two artists, and I'd love to hear her take on Wuthering Heights. That's a good pick. So that'd be my pick. Yeah, what, what have you got, Hammond? So I was thinking of a very stripped-down thoughtful, very focused version of Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons project. I think that uh-huh. it's it's That'd one of those good. it's one of those songs that relies heavily on lyric and the bones of the song are strong enough she could just play that on a solo piano. She wouldn't need a lot of production behind it. I love it. I think it's a great idea. Let's get to our playlist is where we round out the greatest hits with a few extra songs. Uh, some of these might end up, might have ended up on one of those collections, but that's all right. We, we apologize, apologize for that every single time. Yeah, uh, it's again, it's an arbitrary rule we impose on ourselves. And if we break is. our own rule, tough. Yeah, exactly. It just keeps us right. from say, it just keeps people like me from saying, oh yeah, I want the five greatest hits. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Number one for me is uh, this, the the cover that I didn't mention from the Crucify EP or her most played cover in concert, and that is Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. Hello, 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 hello. At the time, for me, it was a breakthrough cover because she was the first to do the thing that you see everybody doing, especially in movie trailers these days. You mean which is like taking, Lord covering everyone wants to rule the world and hurt the Johnny yeah, Cash? Yeah, Johnny hurt. Cash is hurt. Uh, I think more so with like, oh, what was the? There was one that was used for the Suicide Squad trailer, things like that. Basically, where you take a a heavy song and strip it down, make it an acoustic number, just to just completely put in a different light. Everybody's doing it these days, but this was the first one that I remember having having an impact on um, on my listening. And it obviously is so well before Coverville that I can't help but think that this is probably an unknown, a, a subconscious inspiration for when I started doing the show. Uh, next one comes from The Beekeeper. It is Ireland. I'm not picking this just because I went to Ireland, so save your opinions of that. Yeah. 
no, this one had just a really fun, upbeat vibe to it that that a lot of the music uh, when I was listening through a library hadn't had up to that point. So I was happy to to get something new there. Now, if the song had been titled Tina Screaming in the Passenger Seat, then it definitely would have been about your trip to Ireland. Then it would have been about the trip. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Those damn roads are so narrow and you have to drive so fast on them to keep up. Uh, number three for me is Tear in Your Hand. This is from Little Earthquakes. All the world just stopped now So you say you don't want to stay together anymore Let me take a deep breath, babe My favorite song from the album, and it's so lush and heavily produced, which I love. Um, a lot of Little Earthquakes is sparse, sparse Tory and a piano kind of stuff. This one feels almost out of place, but but not. Um, I love it. It's a great song. Number four is That's What I Like, Mick. Glenn Huddle, score and a go. Catching a pike and riding my bike, old wooden wheels in a bowl of ease. Yes, oh, that's what I like, boy. That's what I like. Pie and mash and liquor. Uh, this is from Boys for Pele. This is uh, a cover of a it's, a, it's also titled The Sandwich Song. It's a cover of uh, a, a British, a pair of British pub musicians named Chaz and Dave who write songs about beer and horses and, and, uh, getting away from the misses and stuff like that. So they're country singers. Um, they're they're English country singers, which <laughs> is very different than American country singers. <laughs> but yeah, same topics, but a whole different sound. <laughs> um, these guys are also, if you've heard, uh, obviously you've heard Eminem's, hi, my name is, what? My name is, blah, blah, blah. That is uh, where that sound, the, the song is behind that, the song that's sampled for that is a Labby Sifra song that uses Chaz and Dave's guitar uh, for it. So a roundabout way of saying these two guys are responsible for that, that riff behind the Eminem song. Wow, that's something I had no idea about. Yeah, I'll have to, you know what, If you, you'll have to maybe play a little, I'll give you a little clip and you can play okay. it All right. here because yeah. it's really cool. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, next one is from that Strange Little Girls cover album, Real Men. It's um, It was an incredibly powerful song when Joe Jackson did it. And I remember the video being super powerful and super uh, uh, just shocking at the time. Girls that wore pink, boys that were blue, boys that always grew up better men than me and you. What's a man now? What's a so to have her kind of take the song about toxic masculinity, written well before there was such a thing as toxic masculinity, and then sing it, it makes it even more strong and powerful. And then I have a sixth. I haven't had a sixth for a while. Uh, this one came out on the Repentant Geraldine's album, and it's called Giant's Rolling Pin. With help from Caroline. 
super fun and it feels like like in the same vein as Maxwell's Silver Hammer from uh, Sgt. Pepper's era or I guess Abbey Road era Beatles but has that Sgt. Pepper's benefit of Mr. Kite kind of feel to it as well. So Beatles-y Beatles-ness for that song, <laughs> Giant's Rolling Pin. So she was inspired by bees and Beatles. <laughs> bees and Beatles. That's right. The Beetle Keeper. <laughs> That's what Linda and Yoko's names were. Right. <laughs> exactly. Hammond, tell me about your your playlist. All right. So I picked uh, Never Seen a Blue P- Never Seen Blue from the, the Piano Collection. Got a little red light that tells you boy where the race is burning. And you said good if you think you can turn that violator. Uh, I really love okay. the sound of the solo voice and the piano. It's a great song. Like I said, I probably could have picked every single song from this album, but I thought that would have kind of defeated the purpose of listening to the entire catalog. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my next one is Devils and Gods from uh, Doll. Devils and Gods. Now that's an idea. But if we believe that it's they who decide, that's the ultimate detractor of crimes, cause devils and gods, they are... I love the change in instruments. It's an anti-dream theater song that runs about 52 seconds. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, This shows that sometimes a song doesn't have to be, to fit a length or a style to be good. It also shows her discipline as a writer to not make it longer than it needed to be and to do exactly what she wanted it to do. Uh, the next one I picked was uh, Body and Soul, which is not a cover of Body and their Heart and Soul. Well, of course not. No, it wouldn't be because that's a different, different name. title. Yeah, different name. I, sorry. <laughs> I totally botched that joke. <clears throat> that's all right. It was actually funnier because of that. <laughs> Devils and Gods leads into this one, and it sounds like Tori's take on a Marilyn Manson tune. There's something very oh, yeah. Manson-y about that song, but it's all in Tori's voice. So it's actually yeah. really, really cool. Then I picked uh, Ruby Through the Looking Glass. You know, this sounds a lot like the style and sound that Kevin Moore used for his music on that Dead Air for Radios album. And I liked it on that first, but then I was really pulled in by the lyrics and the song itself. So, but yeah, it, there's a lot of similarity in that, the sound that she used on the piano there. And then I picked The Glory of the 80s from Venus and Back. Right. 
And I would have sworn this was written by Peter Gabriel, but it's one of my favorites of hers. Oh, really? Interesting. If you listen to it, it sounds a lot like a Peter Gabriel tune. It didn't, it didn't jump out at me, so I'm going to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, see, another, like, uh, In Your Eyes, covered by her, would be great. I think she's, I think her covers are... Oh, Red Rain? Red Rain. Red Rain. Yeah. Uh, Don't Give Up. Salisbury Hill? Salisbury Hill? Yep. I think she, she lends herself to being, uh, having a style that works really well with covers. And she's able to put herself into it just enough to make it her, but still keep the, the kind of the gravitas of whatever she's Without covering. Without a doubt. Yeah. She, you know, other artists can take, take a lesson from the way Tori Amos does covers because it, um, she is, she is, uh, fantastic at that. And I think that that's something that a lot of artists don't, aren't able to do is put it in their style, but still keep the original, um, power to the song. Very good. Yeah. A week I enjoyed more than I expected. Uh, I, a week I was terrified of and was sadly, not sadly, gladly <laughs> uh, ex- surprised by because it wasn't what I was expecting. It was it was a surprise how much I liked it. Yeah. Even though at times I'm just like, okay, can you please at least do something that's a little upbeat? Sure. Very good. Speaking of upbeat. Upbeat is next week. What next week is all about. We are going to uh, unleash our pure energy with the music of the Information Society. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I already picked my song. Did you so really? You're out of luck. You better not yep. have picked uh, We All Live in a Capital I. Oh, oh it's the first a song you picked. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Getting it on Manic Street Preachers. Oh, wait, I already have. <laughs> I think I did anyway, didn't I? Oh, no, I haven't. I better do that today. Uh, excellent. Yeah, of course, you grabbed capital I. Dang it, I love that song. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate your, um, uh, reiterate your feelings on it. Uh, yeah. You can reiterate your feelings on this episode by going to, uh, by emailing us at soundographypodcast at gmail.com. Do we want to read I a think it's a emails? great idea. Let's, let's, uh, let's read a couple because I do like what people, I do like what people say. All right. So uh, Tom wrote in and said, great shows. I'm not a big fan of Alice in Chains, but the show was a lot of fun to listen to. And I feel like I learned a lot. The surf show was great. And I wanted to let you know that you guys, what you guys think of Dirty Heads. Do you know Dirty Heads? I do know Dirty. I know of Dirty Heads, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you a single thing they've done. The question is, are they more ska or more soft Hmm, surf music? I don't know. And then he also said he really loved the... uh, Fleetwood Mac episode. It's our best show to date. Oh, wow. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I didn't know that all the rest of them had been so bad. <laughs> I don't think that's at all what he meant. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I listened to several of the Peter Green albums, and that was awesome. I love the blues and small doses, and I thought that was a lot of fun. So thanks, that's Tom. Cool. There's one more. So he, so he uh, definitely was inspired to go back and listen to some of those earlier things, pre-rumors mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, from hearing about on the show, which is great. I like Tom. I've had uh, uh, numerous drinks with Tom and see him every once in a while when I get out to California. And then this one goes back a while. This is from David. He wrote, Hi, Brian and Hammond. Uh, I was just listening to your Metallic episode and you totally triggered me. I was managing a record store in 1993 when they announced the live shit Benjamin and Purge. The word was it was going to come in a real actual touring case and would be limit, would be a limited edition, something like 2,500 bucks yeah. globally. 
They opened it up for pre-orders and I took over 500 deposits and I managed it to a very small, very small record store in a very small town in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, the box set eventually came out in a plain cardboard box that looked just like a touring case. It wasn't, it was limited as to how many we could sell. So then there are hundreds of people came in super excited to pick it up and amazed that they had managed to get one. And they initially were cross because it was such a box and not a case. Such a piece of crap. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. But we're still excited to get one. Then I spent about six months getting angry calls from everyone that they could not flip it for the tens of thousands of dollars they'd expected because the, the freaking everyone had a copy. That was on top of the local town council calling us over and over again, trying to get us to stop selling it because people were spray painting the logo all over town with that stencil. Oh, because it came with a stencil. Oh, yep. <laughs> hilarious. God, what, you know, point blame where blame should go at the people who are doing it, not the people who are selling the box, the, 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 the the album that contains it. You know, the record store is as much at fault as Metallica, which is not nearly at, as at fault as the people actually doing the spray painting. Lame yep. is what I say to that. So I had the original release of that with the v, the VHS tapes in the thing and the whole bit. And I ended up giving it away to somebody who was in a situation and I felt like it would help them pass the time while they were in their situation. Yeah, And... um. Then I ended up buying the, like the DVD, CD kind of micro giant box of all of it. And it's not as cool just because of the casing, but it sure is a lot easier to store. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's a really cool box, then yeah, you'd keep the whole thing and like, you know, be perfect for all that. But yeah, when it's, when it's just kind of lame, I'd much rather have the contents and save the space. Thank you very much. (laughs) <laughs> well, like the uh, the the coffin box set that came with Death Magnetic. Yeah. Fine. I have no problem storing something that awkward shape right. because it's cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a Queen box set that is the first eight albums recreated as CDs from the original vinyl releases, right? So it's the outer sleeve, the inner sleeve, etc. But it's presented, instead of just being a box that's the width of eight, it is a box that's the width of like 15 CDs side by side because they have this velvet box with eight little separate slots to put those eight albums in. It's like, oh, oh my gosh. It's like, oh man, I don't want to, I don't want all this. I want, you know, I want, I like the content of it, but I can't put it in with my the rest of my Queen albums like that. So, yep. So that just sits, it sits on, uh, basically you've created an end cap that's right. it's, for it. On it's your its own, own, right. It's it basically just like a record store. The top shelf of the CD wall is the um, uh, wonky the shape, wonky too shape big box. to store. It's exactly what it is. It's a really good. The wonky wall. wonky wall. I need to go in and redo all that. And really what I need to do, I know this is like so inside baseball for everybody listening, but whatever, maybe think about this. I need to go through and see, all right, what albums do I have that are from bands that I like? All right, you know, they're good and all. Like Tori Amos would be a good example. Um, I can hop on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever, and listen to Tori Amos anytime I want. Uh, I don't need to still save Little Earthquakes, Boys for Pele, um, uh, Strange, well, yeah, Strange Little Girls because of the, I need to own those for, um, for licensing issues, but 
But some of those other albums, I don't need to own. And I could probably save so much space by taking out things that are available on my streaming services that I pay for rather than keep the CDs themselves. I, I have to admit, I have done that with my CD collection. I am now working on it with my your movies. movies. Yeah. And what I'm doing is with the, with the CDs, I keep, I have Dream Theater, mm-hmm. Mushroom Head, Metallica, and Spock's Beard. Everything else I have now either ripped and digitized or rebought digital. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the only things I actually store as far as collecting, keeping hard copies. Totally makes sense. And then with movies, I'm going through and, and either if it's something I really want, then I will buy the digital, get rid of the, the, uh, the physical copy. Mm-hmm. Because I, it, it, it was getting ridiculous and I just needed to, I needed to make some choices. Yeah. yeah I, I think there's stay, a... Stay married or stay married or keep my <laughs> movie collection. Is that, is that where the difference or where the, uh, the choices come from? Totally makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, uh, I think that's a, that's a project for the summer, I think is um, maybe hiring some, one of Tristan's friends to, unemployed friends to come over and go through my city library and say... Well, you could document it each week and call it going through the cleaning out the closet. Oh, and look at you. And you can document the entire thing. Yeah. Oh, look at you, Hammond. Aren't you uh, aren't you a little a little entrepreneur? <laughs> Great idea. All right. Well, let's get to the end of this show before uh, we, we go past our three-hour limit. So that's how you get us the email, right? The sound, uh, soundographypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Soundography. We tweet all about uh, when we post new shows and we love hearing from you there. Everything else, go to soundography.com. It's your uh, one-stop shop for all this stuff. It's got all of our past episodes, including show notes, links to where you can buy the music on Amazon. Definitely going to be linking to that uh, piano uh, box set for Tori uh, on Amazon. Um, It's got everything you need there, as well as a way to support the show uh, via Patreon, patreon.com slash soundography. We just had, um, oh, I'm watching the UPS guy uh, picking up snow to clean something. I don't know what he touched, but. Apparently his hands were all gross. So now he's wiping his hands in the snow in front of my house. Ew. I don't know if I... Oh, he's Ew. cleaning his front Ew. window. He's throwing snowballs at his at his front... The front of his UPS truck. Because the squirter is empty? <laughs> the squirter must be empty. Oh, I should run out there and <laughs> offer him some, uh, some uh, liquid. Some squirt juice. Oh, God, now it sounds horrible. <laughs> uh, if you want to get our squirt juice, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you'll also be getting some stuff. If you're a patron, you'll be getting some goodies, uh, some digital goodies and also some physical goodies here this spring. So keep an eye out oh, for that. We need to figure out what movie we're doing this time. We next do. Time. Yeah. So you and I'll talk offline about that. All right. So that's it. Uh, leave us a review anywhere you like, uh, anywhere you want to tell people about our show. We love to get that sort of thing. And that's going to do it. Hammond, anything to close us out? No, I, I, I'm looking forward to, um, Next week, getting dancey and happy. It is. It's going to be very dancey and very happy. And um, and maybe about a third of the number of albums that we have to listen to <laughs> compared to Tori. So that's going to be fun. It's an order of magnitude. It's an order of magnitude different. Oh, look at what you did there. Very funny. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time right here on Soundography.
show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.